Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Seth Appleton, president of U.S. Mortgage Insurers, to talk about the affordability challenges in this market for first-time buyers and the lenders who want to serve them. Seth has deep and broad experience in housing, having served as the president of MISMO, principal executive vice president of Ginnie Mae, and in various policy roles at HUD. He is also the co-chair of the Housing Advisory Council at the Bipartisan Policy Center. I'm excited to dive into today's discussion, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM, about PA+. Melinda, why should independent mortgage brokers and processors take advantage of this tool? So it's a great new tool, but we're fans of processing of any way. So whether it's an in-house processor, a contract processor, or using PA Plus is a great way to go. We believe that it increases efficiency for loan officers and broker owners to focus on getting new business and working on the business rather than chasing around documents. Thanks, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Great to be here. Great to have you on. Of course, you are very familiar to many people in our audience. You have been a Vanguard Award winner. Um, you have been, you know, a, a source that we've used. You've been on various things, and of course, uh, outside of Housing Wire, you're very well known. The president of uh, U.S. Mortgage Insurers, and before that, the president of MISMO. Um, I'd love to get a little bit more about your background because you do have a pretty wide range of experience when it comes to the mortgage industry. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the industry. Well, it's it's really been a fortunate career journey for me, frankly. I've had the opportunity to focus on housing and mortgage policy from a number of different vantage points, including in the legislative branch as a, as a senior staffer on Capitol Hill, the executive branch as an assistant secretary at HUD and senior official at Ginnie Mae, uh, at MISMO, where we focused on kind of operational and technical standards, and as now the president of a leading trade association uh, advocating for sustainable home ownership backed by private capital. Um, outside of those things, I, I'm also currently the co-chair of the Bipartisan Policy Center's Housing Council. And so uh, I've just really been fortunate to be able to work on housing policy from so many different angles because it's something I'm passionate about. And I think it's something that's really important to our country. Agreed. And this is why I wanted to have you on. I was so excited because, you know, you do come at it from with a wealth of perspective. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is what do you think are the biggest challenges right now to housing? Sure. Borrowers are facing elevated interest rates right now, high home prices, constrained inventory in many markets. So that makes affordability first and foremost a challenge, particularly for first time buyers looking to enter the market. And those first-time buyers are the ones who really propel our our market forward um, year over year. Even when rates were lower, supply has been a persistent challenge that really dates back to the financial crisis. In the aftermath of 2008, we underbuilt housing by several million units. Builders have certainly started to meet some of that pent-up demand, but it's going to take more time to address that deficit, particularly for entry-level housing that's affordable for those first-time buyers I, I just mentioned. And 
you also have now less of a filtering effect happening where existing borrowers trade up to larger homes, freeing up inventory for those first time and low and moderate income buyers because of the lock-in effect we're seeing as a result of interest rates uh, gapping up so dramatically from just a couple of years ago as compared to today. Um, the good news is, from my perspective, is that private mortgage insurers are strong, well-capitalized counterparties to the GSEs and stand ready to help those first-time buyers who may not have large down payments to enter the market right now. I think that's a really interesting observation that, you know, our inventory problems today stem from, you know, the aftermath of the financial crisis when we had the exact opposite problem, right? We had so many vacant houses, we had so many bank-owned properties, um, and you can understand why that then prompted the homebuilders to really pull back um, and, and really just put a freeze on on some parts of the market. But it seems like there could have been a turning uh, point earlier in this cycle to see that, you know, with demographics, that wasn't going to be, you know, workable in the future. Yeah, there's really strong demand out there, particularly from, you know, uh, younger households who are who have waited a little bit longer than previous generations to enter home ownership. Uh, they're ready to uh, become homeowners now. Certainly the COVID pandemic um, changed the way that we live and work in many ways. And, and so as people have uh, moved to new geographic locations or uh, decided they need additional space to work from home, all of those things are continuing to, to fuel that demand. Um, the good news is that we are starting to see um, you know, more supply come online, uh, even with the other challenges I mentioned as far as interest rates, and, and home prices. And the good news is that that you don't need 20%, frankly, to become a homeowner in today's market. With private mortgage insurance, you can become a homeowner with as little as 3% down. Yeah. What, you know, you, you mentioned the, the crisis. I know you've been in the industry for, you know, uh, several, several cycles now. We'll just say that we're, we're seasoned, right? So, um, what do you feel like the challenges, how are the challenges today different than the ones that we've had in the past? I think that's a great question. So I think that the challenges in our housing market are not because there's some um, fundamental weakness in the housing ecosystem right now. In fact, I think it's it's really strong. I think today's challenges are a little bit different. And again, they hearken back to that, that lack of supply, uh, putting pressure on affordability issues. Um, that's, as you mentioned earlier, very different than what we saw in the run up to 2008. Um, in which we saw, frankly, um, products that were, were not good for consumers and not good for taxpayers um, that were out there. Look, homeownership is still a cornerstone of the American dream that, that households are aspiring to achieve. It's still the most widely used mechanism for building generational wealth in our country, if done sustainably. I think it's the Federal Reserve's survey of consumer finances that they do periodically, uh, and it typically finds that homeowners have about 40 times um, the average wealth of, of renters. And I think that that is, is something we shouldn't overlook. But again, sustainability is really an important aspect of that conversation because we need to simultaneously balance enabling access uh, to mortgage credit with safety and soundness in the system. Um, but again, if we do this right, borrowers can lock in their housing costs at today's rates, they can start to put down roots, and they can begin that journey to building equity. Um, but, but it's this balance of access to affordable credit with systemic safety and soundness that we always have to keep in mind. 
You know, talking about safety and soundness. Um, so you were the president of MISMO for, for more than two years. And MISMO is a standard setting organization, right? And it's familiar to people in the industry, but you know, your average consumers probably never heard of it. But yet, um, it's really set up, I think, some of the things that we can do going from now into the future as far as like data collection, um, standardization. So when you look back at your time at MISMO, what do you think is some of the most important things that you worked on there? Look, I think that just the helping accelerate the industry's kind of digital progression was something that I will always look fondly upon. Um, you know, we as as a mortgage industry um, have a lot to learn from other um, industry sectors that have leveraged data and technology standards to revolutionize the way information is exchanged. Uh, just think about Bluetooth, USB. Those are examples of standards uh, coming from standards organizations that have really um, facilitated new ways to communicate. The mortgage industry is doing that, and that work was underway at MISMO. And we, we saw, frankly, during COVID, um, a continued progression and acceleration of that progression towards digital adoption. I think that the, the other um, thing that's underpinning that that's very important is a move to interoperability, the ability to kind of seamlessly exchange information with all participants in a mortgage transaction. Mortgage insurers, frankly, were at the cutting edge of that within MISMO, um, developing uh, next generation technologies like application programming interfaces or APIs to, um, to be able to exchange information with their customers um, seamlessly and efficiently. To me, the APIs um, really are the game changer, right? Before that, you, okay, you know, if you're a lender, you have to have all these different things. They don't talk to each other. You have to have someone just to manage all the different things that don't talk to each other. And I think that it really um, hindered all those things being adopted or being efficient once they were adopted. What do you think, um, when you look at it, you think, what is what is the efficiency that has, has come into the industry because of APIs? So I think that it's it depends on which portion of the transaction. Again, the mortgage insurers and their customers were really kind of on the cutting edge of uh, recognizing that presenting information in a consistent format uh, led to to greater efficiency and competition in the market. And so I think that that's that's been a that's been a good example. I think in other places, um, things that you know consumer facing um, technologies have really. Um, increase their their kind of innovation. I think that when we look, you know, behind the curtain at some of the the processes behind the scenes, um, there's still probably some work to do. What we did find when I was there is that that um, right now you have certain parts of the process that are digitized and certain parts that are still done on an analog or manual basis. And so shifting back and forth between the two um, does not allow market participants to kind of leverage maximum efficiency. And so I think that that kind of over the years, this this journey with organizations like MISMO is going to going to continue to progress and provide kind of real tangible returns for market participants and for consumers, frankly. You know, we really see a lot of the standardization happening in the data for um, valuations, right? Like it's it's been the push for the last year and a half and, and definitely going forward. It's like we have to put some parameters around this so that we can so that data can mean something. 
um, and be compared and be, you know, r- really make sense as a data set. Whereas, you know, like e- even if we talk about square footage, because there's so much variation in something that seemingly would be very easy to fix, but is not um, now easier with some of the technology we have. But what are the other areas that you, that you think are ripe for that kind of like standardization of data? So look, the appraisals for, for any, you know, participant in the market that, that is evaluating kind of risk and credit, um, appraisals and valuations are very important. And there's been a lot of work done in that space and that is, is ongoing, I believe. Um, I think that there's work in the servicing space right now, as far as just kind of the ability to, to transfer data. Um, that has been something that FHFA, the CFPB and the GSEs have been focused on. Um, I think that there's certainly, um, you know, been a focus, uh, particularly during the pandemic around kind of remote online notarization and, and that type of, of standardization. So lots of opportunity, frankly, in the mortgage space, um, you know, in, in various different parts of the transaction. Um, as you know, mortgage transactions have, have many different participants for good reason. And so, um, standardization helps kind of align all of them around data and best practices. And uh, again, when I was at Ms. Motley's, the, the private mortgage insurers were at the leading edge of em- embracing that standardization and innovation for the benefit of the industry. I love that. So AI, you know, which has been incorporated in different uh, tech platforms and solutions for years now, this year has really taken the leap into the mainstream and become available maybe on a more individual basis, right? You think of chat GPT, but that's just one example. What do you feel like um, are the good things about that and the, and the bad things about that? Look, again, these are the mortgages can be highly complex transactions. There's lots of participants and for good reason. Um, and it's really important that, that we get them these transactions right for the benefit of consumers and for the, the safety and soundness of the system. And so we need to make sure that we're, again, in everything we do, balancing um, access with, with prudent risk management. I think that, that kind of one bright spot that I've seen, you know, Examples of at least are, you know, some, some basic customer service chat functions on, on websites and whatnot, uh, for common questions and inquiries. That seems to be an area where there's been some, um, uptick in utilization in order to kind of provide customers information, maybe outside of normal hours or, or, you know, or whatnot. But I think that the, you know, we're going to have to carefully evaluate kind of future utilization based again on, on balancing, you know, access with safety and soundness for sure. That's, that's, I think what is always the challenge here, because um, I've been on several panels about this topic at different industry events. I'm going to be on another one this week. And one of the things that, that always comes up is like, you put more technology in the hands of people, you know, it's the, it's the compliance part. It's the fair lending part. It's the, that are a little bit uh, more difficult, the more you uh, democratize that ability to use the technology, whether it's AI or something else, right? And I know um, we use AI at, at HousingWire in different ways. And, you know, it's not to be trusted. And for for some things, I mean, there are things it does really well. And there's some things right now, at least, it does not do really well. Well, and I think you have to approach it from the perspective as even if you, you know, procure third-party technology, right? Like you as, as a, you know, participant in the mortgage ecosystem are still 
um, you know, the one obligated to meet the various regulatory and legal requirements of a transaction. And so, um, you know, you have to have, have confidence that you are meeting those obligations and requirements in everything that you do. It's, it's a great point. Um, so you have been, um, you know, part of some of the housing policy of the past um, when you were with HUD. And, and I would love to ask you right now, what do you think are some of the most important policy issues in housing for, for this market? In other words, like where should government be helping versus the private sector? Like what do you think those priorities should be? Well, I can tell you first and foremost that having a coordinated housing policy from, you know, across the government agencies, the GSEs and the private sector is really important. Um, you know, the, the role I'm in today, I, you know, can talk about private mortgage insurance because it allows qualified buyers, including again, many first time buyers to access affordable credit through the conventional market. I think that's really important. Um, to underscore that the conventional market isn't and shouldn't be just for buyers with large down payments. Otherwise, it would leave many first-time and low and moderate income borrowers on the sidelines. The insurance and guarantee programs at HUD, USDA, and the VA play an important role in the market, which should be complementary to the role of the conventional market backed by private MI. After all, private MI stands in front of lenders, GSEs, and taxpayers when it comes to credit losses, and taxpayers are exposed to credit risk, um, on the other hand, through the government programs in, in, you know, as a first loss position. So we should be working together so that we can make sure that we are serving as many credit worthy borrowers as possible in a coordinated fashion and not, frankly, um, incentivizing competition between the government and the private sector, because that doesn't, that doesn't expand the pie. Well, what's an example of that? So I think that we need to look at coordination when it comes to things like, um, you know, loan level pricing adjustments uh, versus the Federal Housing Administration's mortgage insurance premium. Uh, we've seen FHFA undertake uh, a lengthy holistic review, uh, which which USMI was pleased that they did uh, over the last year or more. Uh, and in the midst of kind of taking several um, actions in that space, we also saw FHA reduce its mortgage insurance premium. And so again, I, I think it's it's really important that there is a kind of coordinated housing policy so that each um, entity can can serve borrowers and taxpayers um, to the best of their ability. In the wake of the financial crisis, we really saw the banks pull back on all forms of mortgage lending, right? They're going to do a loan for somebody who has, you know, an account and they also do their car loan and whatever, but they're not going to go out and, and maybe do some of the hard loans, right? And understandably, they, we all learn lessons in the, in the great financial crisis, but that has really left the IMBs to do um, a lot of the heavy lifting for, for all mortgage, but especially maybe, um, for those who would struggle to um, get a conventional mortgage, for those who don't have so much for down payment. What do you think, if, if there's anything that could lure the banks back into uh, more mortgage lending, or do you think that should even be a goal? Look, I think it's always good to have um, a robust number of participants in any market. Um, but for the IMBs, frankly, the Gini program would look much different today Um than it currently does. They've been the ones, that, to your point, out there serving borrowers 
um, you know, for, for a long time. There's certainly banks that have continued to do that as well and play an important role in the program. And when we were there, you know, when I was at HUD and at Ginny May, I think that the thought was not that we have, you know, too many IMBs. It was frankly that, um, you know, how do we attract more participants across the board, um, into this program because it's, it's, um, you know, important for the housing market. I think that certainly there, there are issues in the past around use of the False Claims Act versus administrative enforcement that, that gave some banks, um, cause for considering their participation in the program. I think that, that we tried to make progress around some of those issues. We tried to, when I was at Ginny, we certainly tried to, um, make progress around things that, um, you know, make the systems and processes that Ginny made different from those in the conventional market, um, for, for kind of, for, you know, technology and data purposes. But again, there is a, uh, you know, it, it's, we should have coordinated housing policy that, uh, um, allows the conventional market backed by private capital and the government insured and guaranteed market, which, which flows through the Ginny May program, um, to play their roles and, and better serve American consumers and taxpayers. Do you see that, um, the mix of who's doing those kind of loans changing anytime soon? You know, I, not that I can see, I think it's been pretty consistent, um, for the last several years. Um, but it's something certainly as, you know, time progresses that I'm sure policymakers will continue to keep an eye on. So, you know, why, so we have this affordability problem right now. So it's not just that mortgage rates are higher, which they are, but we had that run up in home prices and we haven't seen a cool down in home prices that many people expected once rates went up. I mean, they've leveled off in some places and some places they're still pretty hot. They might've come down in some places, but overall nationally, it's not like, oh, we're back to 2019 pricing, right? Um, with these high mortgage levels or even lower than that, considering the, the high mortgage, um, and when I say high mortgage, I know, like historically, maybe not high, but compared to the last three years, just that, as you said, that sort of shock that people have about that, you know, why is mortgage insurance um, so, you know, even more important in this environment? Well, according to the National Association of Realtors, the average down payment of a first-time home buyer is now somewhere between 6 and 7%. So that's well below um, 20%. Fortunately, private MI does exist to close the gap and, in fact, help more than a million households secure mortgage financing in 2022, 97% of uh, which were for purchase transactions and 62% of those purchases went to first-time buyers and 35% uh, of which had incomes below $75,000. So definitely an important tool to serve first-time and low- and moderate-income borrowers who otherwise uh, are, are qualified um, to enter the market, but do not have uh, large down payments. Private MI cuts down on the the average time needed to accumulate funds for a down payment and closing costs by two thirds. And so, in a market where borrowers continue to encounter affordability challenges, uh, the existence of private MI is really a game changer for these borrowers. Just think of all the households that were able to lock in their housing costs at historically low interest rates during 20 and 21 through the use of private MI before rates gapped up. Many would still be on the sidelines today or paying much higher monthly payments, but for the avail availability of this product. 
So much of your career has been spent um, looking at those first-time homebuyers, looking at affordability. If you think about Ginny Mae, what you did at HUD, um, what you're doing now. If you could, if if uh, Seth Appleton was king for a day, what would you do? You know, what what action do you feel like the federal government could do or private industry could do that would really make a difference here? Well, I look, I think it it's a couple of different things. One, um, continue to make progress on the supply front, right? Like that, you know, the demand is there. Let's keep making progress on the supply. Um, the other part of it is let's educate consumers that you don't need 20% down to enter the conventional mortgage market. I think that that, you know, in past surveys that we've done has, has come to the forefront as a topic where there's more education needed. We are certainly doing that from our perspective, but, you know, it's an important point to, to drive home if we still want first-time buyers to propel the market forward, because it's clear that at an average down payment of 6 or 7%, um, you know, we're not going to be approaching 20% kind of on average anytime soon. Great point. What are some of those educational things that USMI is involved in? Sure. We're, we're going to soon publish um, our annual report, which talks about uh, how the MI industry has served the market nationally in 2022. And we'll have a state-by-state breakdown uh, that tells you about um, number of number of loans, average loan size, credit scores, and whatnot, and really gives you a sense of how MI has closed the gap and allowed borrowers to sustainably and affordably access the conventional mortgage market. Do you feel like lenders are are taking advantage of some of these resources more than ever right now? Or do you feel like there's still a pretty big gap of of where they're not helping their borrowers understand the, the 20% myth? Look, I think that lenders certainly are a great resource and are educating borrowers. We want to make sure that we're amplifying their efforts, partnering with them um, to make sure that consumers understand their options. Um, and that just because the, they don't have large down payments, they still may be, um, you know, credit worthy and able to access home ownership. Again, it, uh, uh, it's, it's something that we all have a, you know, interest in advancing as far as getting that message out there because first time buyers do propel our housing market forward and housing tends to be the largest sector of our economy. So it's been a pretty brutal year, uh, starting about this time last year for for first time home buyers, especially people who don't have maybe family money for like the down payment um, or or high income earners. What what do you see going forward? What gives you hope that um, lenders can continue to serve this segment? That as you said, this is really important for the for their future and for our future. What gives me hope is that there are still substantial benefits to home ownership. And there are tools like private MI that exist to, to help people um, become homeowners. Even if rates are higher today, you can still lock in you know, your housing costs um, in a way where you can have some consistency and stability. And if rates happen to decrease, then you're able to refinance and, and get a break in that, that housing cost. Let's not forget that, that rents are also subject to upward pressure as well, and that the equity building, um, you know, features of, of renting are, you know, not existent, right? Uh, you know, home ownership is still, again, the number one way to build wealth generation over generation. And uh, I think that there's a lot of attractiveness to that. Seth, thank you so much for being on today. Really appreciate your insights and sitting down with us. Thanks so much. 
Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Programs Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.